You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, which is dipietro.com. When you're there, if you ever miss a segment, you can go in to under radio show and pull it all up right there. It's all in alphabetical fashion. By day, by hour, hear all the interviews, go back and hear them. It's all right there. It's a happening. Also on the website, dipietro.com, we have a lot of the video that we do whether it be Cranston PD Live or some of the other events and the live streaming that we do. Now, we have a tragedy has struck the United States of America in the form of a horrible military crash involving two uh, helicopters in a training mission. And I want to dip in. I believe we have some sound of this nine people killed this crash two army black hawk helicopters kentucky now this apparently casualties reported i believe i'm trying to find i believe we have some sound on this but there is um i mean it is absolutely horrific with i won't say friendly fire but this type of incident and crash and it happens more often i think than than some people realize that so many in fact deaths of our military happen to come in in elements of for for lack of a a better way to describe it but just friendly fire so a training mission and then you have something like this happen so i believe we have i know the all nine service members Two U.S. Army Black Hawk helicopters crashed training mission, Kentucky, calling it a truly tragic loss, and it absolutely is. Folks, it also just shows um, the Black Hawk helicopters from the 101 Airborne Division, one with five on board, the other with four on board, routine training mission. And this was 10 o'clock last night that this happened. They were flying multi-ship formation under night vision goggles, I want to play, I think we have an update from uh, ABC. But first, Jacqueline Lee is there on the scene at the crash site in Kentucky. Good morning, Jacqueline. Good morning, Robin, and a very difficult one. Army officials have confirmed nine service members killed in a helicopter crash that involved two HH-60 Black Hawk helicopters. They were doing a routine training mission. This happened in Trigg County, which is about 40 minutes outside of Fort Campbell. This involved two 101st Airborne Division air assault helicopters. Kentucky State Police got the call just before 10 p.m. last night about two Black Hawk helicopters crashing. That is when the troopers discovered the wreckage in a field. There are no reports of damage to any homes, but residents within that debris field were asked to leave. We do not know how large that debris field is. Now, the command has said they are focused on caring for service members and their families. The U.S. military and Kentucky State Police are leading the investigation. Now, again, Army officials have confirmed nine service members killed in this crash. And the governor, Andy Bashir, tweeted overnight that fatalities were expected. He is asking for prayers for all of those involved. Robin. We are, Jacqueline. Thank you. We're going to go now to our chief global affairs anchor, Martha Raddus. Martha, we know that the Black Hawk is the most widely used helicopter in the Army. 
It, it really is, Robin. Black Hawk helicopters are the workhorse of the Army and are considered a reliable aircraft, but training is always dangerous. Just last month, two Tennessee National Guard pilots were killed when their Black Hawk went down in Alabama during training. Adding to the danger, the crash last night was in the dark, in a wooded area, and the helicopters they were flying were likely in tandem. The training can entail anything from simply flying to and from a landing zone to having soldiers fast rope onto the ground while helicopters hover above. But a key reason for training is to replicate what these soldiers would have to do in a conflict zone. And that, of course, is never predictable. George? It is not. Okay, Martha, thanks very much. Folks, absolutely uh, horrific news. Again, out of Kentucky. To me, that is the, and it will. I believe it will be, that will be the national news of the day of exactly this um you know it, it also goes into show that we, we're not at war but as they said they still have to go through replicate training missions and those training missions if they're done properly they're they're dangerous without question they're dangerous so something like that happens and then it really just opens your eyes up now Officials are now revealing the timeline. How about the deadly Nashville school shooting? Investigation into the attack continues. I want to hear the latest on this. He now tries to console each other. We're learning those new details from survivors who were inside the school. She realized that something very important was going on because the teacher's pace of breathing increased and she was trembling there were three shots that were fired into her classroom and some of the glass shards uh, cut one of her classmates sandy herman's two grandchildren first grader eli and third grader claire surviving the deadly attack the kids parents and herman were out of town during the assault watching the news in horror I immediately dropped to my knees and started praying. And this morning, new details on those harrowing moments as police tracked down the shooter, 28-year-old Audrey Hale, a former student who authorities say identified as transgender. Oh. At 10.10 a.m., the shooter entering the private Christian elementary school. Officers on the scene at 10.21. Kids are all locked down, but we have two kids that we don't know where they are. Okay quickly locating the shooter and engaging at 10.25. Two minutes later, the shooter declared dead. One of the architects of the school's active shooter protocol telling us they were trained on every scenario. We take them through a very specific set of steps depending on where the threat is. But sadly, despite the training and preparedness, the shooter killed six people. Three nine-year-olds, Evelyn Dickhouse, Hallie Scruggs, and William Kinney. And three adults, custodian Mike Hill, substitute teacher Cynthia Peak, and head of the school Catherine Kuntz, whose family said she gave her life to protect the students she loved. Overnight, Kunz's emotional friend at the vigil honoring the victims. She was so professional, so prepared, so committed to her faculty and those sweet children of hers. And the resilient pastor here who lost his own daughter in the shooting plans to have her funeral Saturday here at the now damaged sanctuary they call home. So unnecessary, absolutely hard to believe that still that girl that 
transgender individual, whoever, I'm not going to argue about pronouns, whether it was she, him, whoever, that individual, you're unhappy, you're depressed, without getting into the whole, who knows, I don't know, everybody, you know, I used to, folks, again, you're listening to the John DePietro show, I remember one of my first college professors I had said, and, and, and I don't want to hear someone say, you know, when you were going to hand in an assignment, I don't want to hear that you've had some problems. Listen, everyone has problems. There's deadlines. You have to meet the deadlines, period. End of story. Don't come to me and say, well, I've had some problems because everyone has them. And it's true. It proved to be true. So I don't know. We, we don't know in the aftermath of what brought that on, that someone was so depressed, sends a note to the friend. Maybe she had a crush on the friend. I don't know. You know, this is my final day. I am ready to die. Die for what? You're ready to leave this earth. It is not, you know, that is not your decision to make. That is not your decision to make. You don't take your own life. But to take the lives of those three nine-year-olds and the three other people in that school, completely senseless. And, And I don't, laws need to change this was someone who was and i I, again i don't think tennessee has nashville has red flag law red flag laws where police can intervene and remove a weapon i have ridden with cranston police when there was someone who was threatening self-harm and they had to go in and remove the weapon i know a lot of people like to talk about second amendment this is different couple things number one she should not have been allowed to purchase the number of weapons she did at her age in a short amount of time and she was under the care of a doctor i think there's several red flags here and i don't know if they're going to be addressed but there is there's a story in the boston globe that this time around everyone is just like shrugging their shoulders there are ways to address this that individual the parents didn't know she had the weapon. She was hiding them. The, more needs to be done. And, and I'll tell you, one of the problems, though, is, and I, I fully get it, but it's HIPAA laws. Because of medical privacy, a lot of times physicians are not allowed to disclose why someone's being treated, what they're being treated for, what they're on. Are they taking the proper medication? But something needs to be done. Police, she wasn't even on their radar. They had no idea who this individual was. She was completely invisible, below the radar. But meanwhile, for whatever reason, whatever was going on in this individual's life, and maybe it did have to do with she, he, she, it was a girl transitioning to be a boy, maybe somehow thought that if she did do that, she would somehow be happier. And then it didn't pan out that way. It was like, oh, forget it, like throwing in the towel. This isn't a 17-year-old. She's 28 years old. I mean, I, I can't. She's hiding the weapons from her parents. I don't know how much they. She also took out their lives that day. I think more needs to be done to educate individuals that there's nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing, you know. The whole thing of die young, stay pretty. There's nothing. You see these different individuals that have taken their own life. 
It is a selfish act. She took the life of her parents. She doesn't just she just didn't realize it at the time. But she ruined and destroyed their life or whatever their life was or whatever their life was going to be. That's what happens when something like this happens. And, and also the, the lives of the children. There's a local murder victim, a, a woman, excuse me, a young woman who was murdered. And I've had incredible communication with her family. And one of the things that one of her parents said to the killers, the shooters, and it was supposedly an accident, but you, you ruined my life. This was my beautiful young child. We had so many plans and dreams, and I was so anxious to see the individual that she was going to blossom into. You, you destroyed my life when you killed her. Just horrible. Absolutely horrible. Now, also, very interesting, folks, this morning. How about Russia? Russia right now, they're detaining a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and accusing him of spying charges. I think this is interesting. We haven't had a situation like this. I think you have to go back to the Cold War. I believe I heard the last time something like this has happened. But, and again, I know maybe some people are going to yeah, Good morning, George. Russia's FSB intelligence agency says it has detained an American journalist from the Wall Street Journal on spying charges. This is the most high-profile arrest of a U.S. citizen since basketball star Brittany Griner, and the first time since the Cold War that Russia has arrested a U.S. journalist on spying charges. Now, the FSB says journal correspondent Evan Gershkovich is being held in the city of Ekaterinburg in central Russia. They accuse him of collecting state secrets and spying on Russia's military-industrial complex on behalf of the United States. Now, they haven't provided any proof, but a criminal case has now been opened against him. In a statement, the journal has said the Wall Street Journal vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. Now, all this comes as it emerged overnight that Russia is refusing to give advanced warnings to the United States about its missile tests or provide data about its nuclear arsenal. This is information required by the START nuclear arms agreement. This move has now prompted the United States to do the same. The New START agreement was signed in 2010, and it limits each country to deploy 1,550 nuclear warheads with inspections to verify compliance. But last month, Vladimir Putin called off inspections because of U.S. support for Ukraine. Now they have taken it even further, calling off all notifications of missile tests. Putin is not smart. He's not our ally. He did not have a good relationship with President Trump. He doesn't enjoy a relationship with our country, with the free world. He is a brutal thug killer who needs to be eliminated. Period. End of story. No other discussion. No, he's not smart. Nope. This business said, oh, no, you know, we had a relationship. You know, you didn't. You did not have a relationship with him, Mr. President. The only relationship he has is one where he can manipulate people for his own gain. He is a brutal murderer. He is a killer. He is a thug. He is a gangster. He is, how many people has he killed now? The list is too tight. They say he's off. He's a demented madman that needs to be put down like a wild dog. No, he's not smart. Putin, he's smart. No, he's not. No, no. Was John Gotti smart? Like, what are you calling smart? No, when you have a, a demented, pathological liar killer, 
They're not smart. They're criminally evil and insane. No, he is not. And look at that. Now they're grabbing one of our own citizens. Folks, we're going to speak with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. We're also going to talk with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. And on top of that, more, I'll tell you, Governor McKee, this is, uh, he is really up against it and hitting the panic button. And the McKee people, they are basically in free fall right now. They don't know what to do. We're going to talk about it. It's all ahead right here on the John DePietro Show. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. AtMed Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At AtMed Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atment urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atment urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 atwood avenue in johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich online at admedurgentcare.net folks you're listening to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com it's time for our legal segment joining us right now he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He's our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, you have a fan. Her name is Elizabeth. She listens each week. And she asked me, if possible, if we could start off with the Gwyneth Paltrow case that is taking place right now and your legal thoughts on it. I'd be happy to. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, I don't think it's going very well for the optometrist. Um, some of the things, and you never know how this is all affecting a jury, but it came out, I think, Gwyneth's attorneys got him to acknowledge that shortly after this incident, he either texted or emailed his kids saying, well, I'm famous now. So he seemed to be very pleased that he was in the middle of a case that was getting uh, publicity with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, did he see this as a potential windfall for him financially that should pay him off to make him go away? Um, it's debatable. I think the evidence that's come in so far, this guy claims that after he was allegedly knocked over by Gwyneth Paltrow, he did break some ribs, so that seems to be a legitimate thing that happened to him, and that... Um, he hurt his jaw and um, that he's been having, that he got a concussion and that as a result of the concussion, he's been having neuropsychological difficulties um, with um, his mood, with his personality, with his memory and other things. Um, question being, are all of his symptoms from this alleged being knocked to the ground or is it commensurate with his age or his past history? Um, there's a lot of questions about the medical evidence that he's putting in. Um, 
Gwyneth Paltrow testified. You know, she's a seasoned actress. She knows how to behave. Um, I, I think I saw bits of her testimony. I thought that, you know, she gave a straightforward, compelling, believable um, description of what she claims happened. Um, her team put in a video, a recreation, an animation, if you will, of how her team um, wants the jury to think this um, collision um, occurred. I find it interesting that Gwyneth is a novice skier, apparently, because she's on the bunny run at this um, resort. So on the one hand, you could see that a novice skier who doesn't have great control could run into somebody. So that would be points in favor of saying maybe she was the perpetrator of this. Um, on the other hand, whether the doctor, um, the optometrist, whether he got hit from, be whether she hit him from behind or whether the reverse is true, um, what was he doing on the bunny run? Because he's apparently an experienced skier. He would have no business or no interest to be on that part of the mountain. So, or the hill or the incline when it's the bunny run. So what he was doing there makes no sense. What she was doing there made perfect sense. Maybe she didn't have the best control. Could she have hit him? I mean, it's, it's either is plausible. Now, this case is going to be determined by this jury by a civil standard, which is a preponderance of evidence. Did the prevailing party convince a jury, let's move it off of 50-50. 51% is enough for an award to be made in favor of the moving party. Has the optometrist demonstrated that it's not a 50-50 proposition? Has he put on a sufficient quality and quantity of evidence that he has moved the scale off of 50-50 ever so slightly in his favor. And by the same token, has Gwyneth Paltrow moved the scale off of 50-50 ever so slightly in her favor? It's going to be tough for the jury because they're either going to find one of these people's story to be believable and the other a fabrication, or they won't be able to choose between the two. Um, you could have a very hung jury here with some people believing Paltrow's story and some believing the optometrist's story. Um, so you could wind up with a hung jury in this case. It's, it, the case isn't over. Um, the judge seems to be giving the parties a very calm, very fair, very dispassionate trial. Um, the judge doesn't seem to be starstruck in the least. Um, some of the lawyering seems a little bit odd. I mean, there was a lot of um, buzz in the media when um, the optometrist attorney was cross-examining um, Gwyneth Paltrow and they were complimenting each other on their shoes and all kinds of odd things that were going on. Um, talking about Gwyneth's friendship with different celebrities like Taylor Swift. Um, 
<laughs> the lawyer seemed a little starstruck. I think I know what the lawyer was trying to do, which was to undercut some of Gwyneth's credibility in terms of how she answered questions during her deposition, as opposed to what she was testifying during the trial. But the sensational nature of the cross-examination and the nature of the questions I think overshadowed whatever attempt at impeachment the lawyer was trying to make. Um, I tend to believe the Gwyneth Paltrow version. The doctor, this seems like a um, questionable character based on the bits that I've been able to read about and see on replay about this case. Yeah. Folks, we're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, last week, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about President Trump and his legal trouble. Suddenly, this week, all quiet. And now we're hearing that the grand jury apparently is going to break um, at the end of the month. Yes. Now, the, the DA's office is, is putting out that this was a scheduled break. It was pre-planned. Um, who knows? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Um you know, President Trump had reported that he expected to be arrested last Wednesday. That didn't happen. Um, I'm not sure if the prosecutors are having difficulty convincing this, the members of this grand jury. They could be skeptical. Clearly, something seems to be amiss with how this is going down. Now, I know you have theorized that Perhaps the prosecutors and the other Trump investigations around the country are um, asking Alvin Bragg to cool it and to back off and let them play through first because his case is so apparently weak. Uh, could that be the reason? Sure, it could. Um, will Bragg's office ever admit it? They'll, they'll say that there's no communication between the prosecutors from these different jurisdictions. Towards the end of what we know has happened with this grand jury, um, at, at the Trump team's um, request, Michael Cohen's former lawyer testified last week, um, and I'm sure impugned uh, Michael Cohen's credibility a million ways to Sunday. I'm sure he told the grand jury, you can't believe anything this guy says, meaning Michael Cohen. And, you know, I'm sure he attacked Michael Cohen, who is ostensibly the star witness for the prosecution in this case. Um, the grand jury next brought back for a second time um, David Pecker, who was the former publisher of the National Enquirer, yep. who was a friend of Trump. And I think Pecker was involved in obtaining stories and paying people for their story. Um, so he would buy the story essentially and then never run the story essentially muzzling the person who had provided the information in exchange for money to the National Enquirer which was a, a publication which um, was let's say pro-Trump and was happy to kill stories that would be adverse to uh, President Trump's interest. This bolsters the fact that there's a number of reasons where you might pay people for their silence, and it's not all to be seen as a campaign contribution. Right. 
I mean, it, it, with Stormy Daniels, if Trump did this, you know, what would be the possible motivations for him to want to pay off Stormy Daniels other than as a backdoor political contribution? Well, yeah, he wants to keep her quiet, perhaps because he's pursuing the presidency, but he also would like his wife not to find out about it. Right. There was a confidentiality agreement. Yep. So from his perspective, the president's perspective, all he's going to show is there's other plausible reasons why this money was paid, and it's not for the prosecution to win. They have to show that this could only be seen as a backdoor political contribution right. and not be seen as anything else. Well, it is something else. Yeah. She signed a non-disclosure agreement in exchange for the money. Right. It is something else. So, you know, can they convince a grand jury to um, – prefer charges here sure they can can they get an indictment sure um is it a case that they should be successful in based on what we know i think not i think the biggest danger and it's been expressed by people like alan dershowitz is trump better look out because even if it's a weak case this goes in front of a new york um, trial jury where trump is not really a favorite he could have trouble with such a jury, even though the case is completely um, shown to be weaker than weak. Um, we've seen juries do things in other cases with other high-profile um, plaintiffs and defendants, and juries do what they want to do. So the Trump team should want to kill this thing before it ever gets past the grand jury and not say we'll win this at trial because that's not always a sure thing. Juries do funny things. Folks, quick break. Much more with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401 401- 739-1322. Locally owned and operated, serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. They offer services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats, in the summertime, spring, fall, mosquitoes, and many other pests. Call today for a free consultation, whether it's for your home or a restaurant. Maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once a month. Call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Residential and commercial, whether it's an office building, a school, a hotel, a restaurant, or your home, call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. We speak with our legal expert. It's Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, what are we to make of the fact that the apparently lawyers are going to make the arguments to the Rhode Island Supreme Court, the legality of this Charahoe School Committee appointment? It, it is it's kind of remarkable that it's uh, the Rhode Island Supreme Court is already poised to hear arguments on this case. It's a really inside baseball kind of case. You've got um, the Charahoe Home Rule um, there's two parts. Well, let me start again. 
Cheraho, as, as your listeners know, is a composition of the towns of Charleston, Richmond, and Hopkinton. And they all participate in the Cheraho School Committee. And they all have the ability to appoint members to this uh, tri-town tri uh, school committee, if you will. Now, one of the, rep one of the members from... Um, um, I think it's um, Richmond, um, who was a Democrat, got off the school committee. He resigned his position and was replaced with a Republican. And the Republican replacement is also a member of the Gatsby Project and a member of Parents United. Yep. So he is going to be a real thorn in the side of the progressives and presumably the teachers union and those who want to have um, this critical race theory and other progressive um, items on the uh, academic agenda for these uh, young students. So there's a Cherahoe Act which created this three-town conglomeration and then there's the local home rule charter that each of these towns has the state law um, led to, it's, it's very confusing. The state law, which creates this whole um, working, would allow a resigning member to re be replaced by anyone. The Home Rule Charter suggests that if somebody resigns, then the second highest vote getter in the last election must be appointed. So the second highest vote getter for this particular election was a Democrat who was saying, I should have been um, nominated to fill the seat because I was the second highest vote getter. The legal team for the Republican guy who currently occupies the seat says, no, we've got to look to the state law, which allows for um, the replacement to be anybody, any citizen. So you've got a conflict potentially between a state um, law provision and a local law provision. Now, under ordinary circumstances, a state statute would trump a local ordinance or a local statute. And that's what the Supreme Court's going to have to grapple with. They're going to be looking at two different rules, set of rules, let's say, as to what you do in the event of a resignation of a school committee member for this particular Charahoe uh, school district. And the implications are significant. If this current occupant Republican guy prevails, well, you can see the direction that um, he could help to push this school committee in terms of, I guess, what you could see as a more conservative worldview that he has. And if the Democrat says, well, I should have got the seat because I was the second highest vote getter, she, I wouldn't think, had the same uh, conservative slant that the current occupant has. It'll have significant um, implications. And right now, with the Republican occupying the seat, I think the school committee is split, I believe, 50-50. And obviously, if he was displaced in favor of the appellant Democrat second-highest vote-getter, then the power would shift to the more progressive side of the school committee. So the stakes are significant. 
not only for these school committee members, but for the kids in the Cherroho School District. This is going to have a big impact on the type of education they're going to get long term. Folks, again, with speak with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, um, what what are we to make of uh, this stop and shop story? It's kind of funny why the scales of justice <laughs> tipped towards stop and shop this lawsuit this customer made. Well, you know, this is the type of case that sometimes lawyers get a bad rap. Um, even the Wall Street Journal last week gave a kind of a dig at uh, plaintiffs' attorneys for bringing all sorts of frivolous causes of action. And we could have a whole discussion on what what plaintiffs' attorneys do and how they do it and how they're compensated and how cases are funded, but that's for a different time. This is a lawsuit that a gentleman went in and he bought some fish at, at Stop and Shop. And apparently he has a known allergy to eating salmon. Um, in this case, I believe he bought cod. He took it home and he had an adverse reaction. And he went to see his doctor, and I guess his fish allergy is more broad-based. It's not just salmon. It's really all sorts of fish um, products and fish species. But he found a law firm to bring a lawsuit against Stop and Shop, saying that Stop and Shop failed to warn about an inherently dangerous product that they put on their shelves. And this went... um, through a whole process, um, he didn't. The, the gentleman file suit could never produce an expert to testify about the inherently dangerous nature of codfish, uh, and you know what the obligation would be of um, Stop and Shop to warn appropriately to potential consumers who have a, a fish allergy. So um, the case got dismissed um, on a motion for summary judgment in Superior Court. Um, an appeal was taken to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court affirmed the decision of the trial justice in dismissing this case. So stop and shop does not have to now suddenly warn about danger. If you have a fish allergy, don't eat fish. I guess by that logic, they'd have to put in the candy aisle, danger, if you have a chocolate allergy, don't buy chocolate. And for any other product out there, um, it seemed one of those cases that was a stretch to bring in the first place. I do mostly plaintiff's work, and I have high regard for the plaintiff's bar, but this case probably wasn't one of those. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on The John DePietro Show. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401 401- 580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 580 1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor 
fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, it's been a tough week uh, for schools, starting with that school massacre uh, shooting on Monday. But Rhode Island at the same time in Massachusetts on Tuesday had what they call these these swatting calls. And the state police revealed that they believe it they, they comes from out of state. They think, I think they even said it's the same person, uh, uses the same phone number, I think. And they call local police departments and they say, I'm at the school this case had happened at Cranston East, it happened in North Kingstown, happened near Agansett, but I'm at the school, there's two people shot, blah, blah, it's huge police response, and then the whole thing is a hoax. What what type of penalties uh, exists for someone that clearly, I, I don't know the motivation other than somehow they think that it's a hoax and it's funny and you don't know if they're taping it, but what type of penalties exist on something like that? Well, it, it depends where he's calling from. Is it in-state or is it from out-of-state, which could bring in federal implications? But it's certainly making a false police report. There's been lots of cases where they try to extend the terrorist statutes to things like this. I'm not sure it would apply. But, um, you know, clearly there would be criminal charges resulting from this Um he hasn't filed a false report, but he's making a false report. Hmm. And, you know, he is uh, diverting uh, police resources um, to what is essentially a hoax. And it puts police departments in an untenable position because can they say, well, we know this is another hoax and not go and respond and check it out. Um, you know, God forbid the one time that the cops now think it's a hoax because it's happening so often and it's a real event. So there's an obligation that they've got to show up yep. for all of these things. And it diverts resources. It diverts manpower. Um, it costs money. And, um, you know, it, it creates fear and terror and distrust with parents and students at whatever school is the subject of the hoax. Um, all of which could be uh, prosecutable offenses. And if he's doing this from, let's say, Massachusetts or Connecticut, you could wind up having this charge in federal court. Hmm. Tim Dodd, there's a story that Rhode, Rhode Island is revoking the license of a caregiver charged with exploiting patients. How serious are the charges? And it, sometimes it seems these, these cases are difficult sometimes to prove. Well, right now it's allegations, yep. and obviously she's presumed innocent, but the charges they've got right now is um, one count is um, exploitation of an elderly person. Um, one count is um, larceny over $500. One count is forgery. One count is counterfeiting, and there's a count for obtaining money under false pretenses. A couple of those are misdemeanors. Most of those are felonies. Um, you know, this is the type of case where I could see a judge, if the facts bear out the charges and there's a trial or a plea bargain, 
to make an example of someone like this because to take advantage of an elderly person who knows what her mental state was or her physical state was but when you know a healthcare worker so called <clears throat> goes in and if these allegations are true you know it's a pretty despicable set of um charges and this, it would be a dis pretty despicable set of facts if they exist to prove these charges um i could see this being a jail case because mm. of the outrageousness and you know there's a lot of people in this position elderly people who need caregivers and you know we all read in the paper at various times about you know a caregiver comes and inveigles their way into you know the good graces of the person who needs help and suddenly they're getting money and you know all sorts of things are happening um if it's by agreement fine but in a lot of these situations it's uh, easy to allege that the elderly person is being taken advantage of by the um healthcare worker and you know to have these uh, five specific charges which are you know serious charges um it could be a jail case and, mm. and more, I, I don't know what this um the defendant's criminal record is i'm guessing it can't be much or else she would have never been licensed to be a caregiver through the health department in the first place right tim dodd there's a lot of talk about this Pawtucket soccer stadium uh Tidewater Landing, and they've hit a pause on the project. It seems to be running into some problems. I'm just wondering, when, when the dust settled with 38 Studios, there were lawsuits all over the place, all kinds of accusations, investigations. Um, you know, th these, these seem to be somewhat sometimes complicated when you have a city, Pawtucket, you have the state, the state of Rhode Island, you have an outside you know, uh, investor and trying to get investors. Um, I, I'm just wondering, a lot of these, they, they seem to have, like, what are the legal obligations? They're supposed to be building this stadium. Now, Governor McKee is saying because of the Fed, the rates are going up. It's getting more expensive. But there was a deal in place that this whole thing is, this fortuitous partners, they're supposed to be developing this Tidewater Landing, and they're supposed to be a minor league soccer stadium there. Well, I, I can't claim to have total knowledge of the agreements between the uh, developer and owner of this team and the builders of the stadium and the state. But, you know, this is, I think, $23 million has been spent so far yep. on, you know, the um, infrastructure work. Uh, the state... Um, state-backed bonds that are with the city of Pawtucket for, I think, $27 million, which hasn't all been spent, and Pawtucket's putting a pause on the $27 million. But to say the whole thing is hitting a, a, a um, delicate time because of inflation and interest rates, mm. I mean, if that's all it's going to take to throw this thing off course... Um, I would presume it's something that would have been anticipated. I mean, interest rates fluctuate, cost of materials fluctuate. Right. Um, can it be that significant that it throws the whole deal off? I mean, apparently they've got to now find, 
I think it's something like another $7 million or so in additional funding to keep this thing going. Now, where's that money going to come from? Hmm. The developers, the private investors, or is the state going to be looked to to prop this thing up? I mean, there's a lot of jobs at stake. Um, the ultimate success of this as a profitable enterprise, I think, has always been questionable. Whether people are going to pay money to go see a minor league soccer team in Pawtucket, but as the stadium is being built, there's a lot of union jobs that are at stake, and it seems to me the state's going to do whatever it has to do by whatever means necessary to get the money to keep these guys all working. Yeah. Folks, he is our. Whether that's correct or not is a different story, but I would think the state's going to go find the money and keep these people working Mm. um, to keep um, a certain political segment of the voting population happy. Yep. Folks, again, he is our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals, help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401 401- 434-1510, Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. Thing to the John DePietro Show, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok, plus... You, if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique, original stories, videos, content. Log on right at the website, dipetro.com. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 401- 885-4209 in Massachusetts you can reach them at 508-252-3359 propane heating and cooling it's propane plus their team's been there three generations they're available 24 7 for service and delivery and they plan on serving you for a long time to come they offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401 401- 
885-4209. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast, is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Remember, weekdays, 11 to 2. But visit the website, DePietro.com. That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link. Contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live or YouTube or Twitter. It's all right there at the website, petro.com And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there folks it all starts by logging on at dipetro.com and on the left hand side you can always listen live again all our links everything begins and ends right there at the website dipetro.com <music> 